couple of corrections before we start anything. I know what you said about graduate students don't get spring break, but nobody told St. Hung that because he played golf and tennis during spring break. Secondly, um, one correction, please. Satan didn't put Jesus on the cross. God did. Okay? If you remember when um, the people in Egypt, uh, the people, excuse me, in the desert, before, just before they went in the promised land, they said, you know, we're sick and tired of all this journey stuff. And we're sick of this miserable food. This was what the, what the Psalms called food from God, angel food. And they said, this miserable, lousy food we're sick of. God sent serpents. And <coughs> they started biting people. And they were poisonous serpents. Uh, King James, I think, called them fiery serpents. But it was because of the poison that, that was in them. And they... Um, People came to Moses and said, pray to God for us that he takes away the serpents. So Moses prayed to God, and God answered the prayer, but he didn't take away the serpents. What he did is told Moses to make a, a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And the people that got bitten, if they looked at the serpents, they'd be healed. So he didn't take away the serpents, but he made a provision for them to be healed if they obeyed the word of God and looked at the serpent and was lifted up. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, when I... If I be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, I'll draw all people unto me. So God didn't take away the sin in the New Testament either, but he made a provision for it, just like he made a provision in the Old Testament. But this was God's plan for the foundation of the world, that, that Jesus would die on the cross, not to save the sinners. Oh, he taught a lot of things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was crucified and finally got the tomb yeah. and yeah. and was dead. And then Bill had to say something about Athanasius. The, 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 the word that stands out is Athanasius <laughs> Condo Mundo. Contra Mundo. Anastasius, I can't even say it now, <laughs> against the world. Yeah. Because what was happening at the time that he was alive was Arius was coming out with this heresy that Jesus is not God. And Athanasius said he is God, and there was a church was almost split in two because of it. But Athanasius stood against him, and finally the church condemned Arius as a, her a heretic. But he's alive and well today, and you can find him in the Jehovah's Witnesses, because there's a, there's, there's a Arian doctrine. Mm -hmm. But what used to happen is that the, uh, the Arians would stand on one side of the river, making fun of the people, the Athanasians, because they were Trinitarians, and they would make fun of people that believed in the Trinity and poke all kinds of fun and yell taunts across the river, and the people on the other side would say, Glory be to God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, ever now, even now and ever shall be, <coughs> world without end. 
take that to youth mm-hmm. areas. And so there were talks going back and forth across the river, but it was a big deal. And that's why Athanasius, which is standing against the world, because at one time it was just a thing like him and him alone against all these heretics that was trying to take over the doctrine of the church. And that's why these doctrines come out, that because of attack, you have to clarify what you believe. And that's why the creeds are so important. Yeah, the Pentecostal, one the Pentecostals, yeah. Pentecostal, what did they call themselves? I forgot now. Whatever. I know there's a one that's Pentecostal. Athanasius? 300, 200, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, 300, call attention to what we already believe, how important it is. And I'll talk about the Bible. First of all, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who was an atheistic philosopher that I haven't read since college. But anyway, Nietzsche used to admonish Christians by saying, you Christians will have to look a lot more like your Christ if I am to believe in him. And that remark really points out the great need for Christians to practice (laughs) what they preach. You know, we talk a much better game than we live so often. And that's the problem for a lot of people like Nietzsche. That's not his only problem, but that's the surface problem. The Bible was not given just to teach us some facts. The Bible was given to teach us how to live. Let me start off by just reading one verse. Matthew 22, 29. <coughs> Jesus is answering the the Sanhedrin, excuse me, the Sadducees, the ones that said there's no resurrection, and then they gave him this scenario about this woman dies and she's been married seven times and whose husband is or who's going to be her husband in heaven and all this sort of stuff. And he says, but Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. We don't want to be mistaken because we don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. You know, the Bible is God's special revelation to all of mankind. Nature can tell us that God exists. And that God is powerful by looking at the things that he's created. But the Bible is what gives us a a comprehensive understanding of God, all that he's revealed about himself. And it's given us an understanding about ourselves and about the world. If you want to know why the world is in such a mess, read the Bible. It will tell you why it's in such a mess. The Bible tells us why the world is filled with crime, why the world (coughs) is filled with suffering, and why the world is filled with tragedy. 
it's right there for us to see. Why? It reveals how God came, chose one man, one man through, first of all, one people through whom he would reveal himself, the Jews, and then through the Jews, how he would bring a Messiah and bless the human race. The Bible explains God's father heart. What the heart he has when dealing with his people. Blessing them when they obey him. And disciplining them when they disobey. The Bible shows us God's hatred for sin. And the extent that he'll go to resolve sin. The problem of it. The Bible tells us the greatest love story there's ever been. Creator of the universe sending his son. He's going to live a perfect life. Perfectly revealing who the Father is. What he's like. His character. And showing us how to live. It tells us that the Son is going to die for us. For all mankind. And he's going to reveal the amazing future to everyone that responds to the grace of God. It tells about the bodily resurrection of Christ. The glorious future hope that we've got. It tells about a utopia that's coming, the millennial age. That Jesus is going to inaugurate at his second coming. We will read and study the Bible if we want to know God, if we want to know about the world, if we want to know about ourselves, and if we want to know about the future. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a scripture that so many of you already know. It says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, <coughs> for correction, for training in righteousness. And the Bible was supernaturally written by men. 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So scripture was written by men, but it was written by men who was moved supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter emphasizes that Scripture doesn't have any human origin. The last phase, phrase of that Scripture says, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So men actively write the Scriptures, but there's a sense, there's a sense in which they're passing. The Holy Spirit moves them along. The same word moved is used in the book of Acts when it talks about the wind moving a ship through the sails. The captain steers the ship, but the wind is what carries it along. The Holy Spirit carries the writers along, the writers along, it, and it ensures complete accuracy in everything that they say. Going back to that scripture in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired by God means God breathed. It's God exhaling. And God didn't 
breathe divine power into people but the scriptures are, re are the result of God breathing out scriptures have their origin in God not men and that's what we see in <coughs> a lot of different Old Testament passages like God spoke all these words or the Lord speaks or thus says the Lord or the word came to me saying the emphasis is that God spoke and the result was a perfect word the purpose for the God breathed Bible is found in the next verse of that scripture we just read why so that man so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work <coughs> that's why he spoke it have you ever wondered why or how the disciples could write down perfectly many years later the details of what was spoken to them by Jesus and other people. Can you remember a speech that moved you accurately 15 or 20 years ago so that you could write it down without error? Well, under normal circumstances, neither could they. How could they possibly remember detailed conversations? Think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Or think about the uh, Upper Room Discourse in John 14 through 16. How could Matthew and John remember the details of Jesus' teaching? When Matthew wrote about it about 20 years later, and John wrote about his, some people think as much as 60 years later. Yet they're writing it down. Jesus promised them help in remembering his teaching. He promised them a supernatural helper. He promised them the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus also promised that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth so that when they wrote the New Testament, they would be accurate. No inconsistencies, no inaccuracies. You know, Paul catches a lot of grief from people that don't like what he has to say. <laughs> Especially when he's speaking about the relationship role between men and women. Maybe they don't realize it but what they're doing is attacking the foundation of inspiration of Scripture. You know, all 66 books of the Bible were written by mortal men just like Paul. So if Paul was in error, so were they. God said Paul was a chosen instrument of his to bear witness of his name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And Peter called Paul's writing scripture. You know, I understand why a lot of people like red letter editions of the Bible. But they can give a false impression if you're not careful. 
And it can give the impression that some words of Scripture are more inspired than others. And that's not what Scripture teaches. All of Scripture is equally inspired of God. If the Holy Spirit guided the people, then he guided all of them. And every word of Scripture, written in black, green, red, or whatever, is equally inspired of God. And just like Bill was talking about, words are important. If you've ever had a conversation with anybody about God, about Christianity, about Jesus, you know you cannot be vague about the terms you're using. You've got to be exact. Because they will make you sound like you're saying the same thing they are when you have entirely different definitions. When the Pharisees confronted Christ about his messianic claims, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is it? They gave a simple answer. They said, the son of David. And the reason they said the son of David is because they were not looking for a Messiah that was divine. They were looking for a deliverer from Roman oppression. They were looking for a man. Not anyone that was more than a man. Jesus, in response, directed them to Psalms 110.1, where David says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. If the Pharisees were correct, and the Messiah was only a man, why did David, the greatest king Israel had ever had, why did he call his descendants my Lord? That makes sense if David's descendants, or it doesn't make any sense if David's descendant was only a man. But this verse indicates that David knew that his descendant was greater than he. Jesus' argument with the Pharisees hinges on his use of the word my Lord. Exactly what the scripture says. The words are precise. And if the scriptures are inspired only in their concepts or ideas, then Jesus could not have argued to the precise meaning of the words. We need to pay attention to the words when we read scripture, because words are important, not just concepts and ideas. We need to read the words carefully. <coughs> the precise words of scripture can give us great encouragement. For example, consider casting all <laughs> your anxiety, all your cares upon him because he cares for you. All, because of what? because of him, him, capital, Jesus. And how about the Lord is my shepherd. Words have meaning. They are precise in scripture. Biblical inspiration extends to the very letters of scripture as given in the original writings. Matthew 5.18 <coughs> 
Jesus says, Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. The smallest letter was the yod. Pronouncing this probably incorrectly, but anyway, you pronounce Y-O-D-H. Anyway, that's the smallest letter. It's equivalent to an apostrophe or comma. The stroke was the minor difference between two letters. An English equivalent would be the little mark that distinguishes an O from a Q. Jesus says that's important. He promises that every part of the Word of God, drawn even to the very letters, will be fulfilled. You can trust them completely. There are three <coughs> there are three words that give us a, um, a definition of inspiration. Verbal, plenary, and autograph. Just briefly. Verbal means inspiration extends to the very words of Scripture. Again, not to just the concepts and ideas. Words were important to Moses. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Words were important to God because he instructed Moses, write down these words. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Jesus said words were important. He said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And in Revelation 19, John said he was writing the true word of God. The second word is plenary, and plenary means full. It means that not just part of the Bible is inspired in its word. It's fully inspired, every verse, every chapter, every book. And the word autograph means the original writing. The Bible's fully inspired in the original writing. A translation is only as good as it's faithful to the original writing. That's why some translations you need to run from. Most of them are good, but there are some that are not. They have to be faithful to the original writing. Obedience is linked to the words of Scripture. Moses said to the people, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Now, our mind... All Scripture tells us this, but Romans especially. Our minds have been darkened by sin, preventing us from a proper understanding of God's Word. <clears throat> we can't understand God's truth apart from God's divine enablement of us understanding the truth. In Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, <clears throat> Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, so I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility, the emptiness, of your minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. God's truth is a mystery even to religious leaders, apart from his supernatural revelation, his intervention. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Providing understanding of the Word of God is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's called illumination, which is provided to every believer. That's what 1 Corinthians 2.10 tells us. God must reveal things about himself to man. We would never understand it if God didn't reveal it. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers so that we can understand the truth. In Luke 24:44, Jesus said, All things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. There's a term called the canon of Scripture. And canon means a spiritual yardstick. It's the standard of measuring which books belong in Scripture. You know, a lot of other books were written at the same time the Old Testament prophets wrote their books. So, which ones need to be in the Bible and which ones don't? What were the tests to determine which books were going to be in the Old Testament? One of the tests was, did the book consider, excuse me, did the book indicate that God was the author? A lot of books begin with, God spoke these words, or the Lord said, Secondly, was the, was the book obviously written by Moses? And the first five books of the Bible were authored by Moses. So they were considered scripture. Was a human author a spokesman for God? Like the prophets, like Ezekiel, like Samuel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. And then there's a question of, were the books historically accurate? And that's an important question. Because you've got a lot of books that claim to be scripture that are not historically accurate. Like the Book of Mormon, the Apocrypha that's included in Catholic Bibles. Now, how was the book received by the Jews? The Jews received all 39 books of the Old Testament as we would see in our Old Testament. And the three groups were the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And Jesus recognized these same three groups as we saw in the scripture we just read. And how was the book received? The book received by the early church, and the early church received all of this. You know, what about the New Testament? Very often we get heretical attacks, and these heretical attacks cause the church to examine closely what they believe. Around 138 A.D., there was a wealthy man named Marcion, that uh, came to Rome, joined the church, and he gave some of his wealth to the church. But he had a major disagreement with the church, and he was removed pretty soon from fellowship. So he formed a separate church, and he taught his unique message. He said the God of the Old Testament was evil, wrathful, and the New Testament God was a God of love, who had revealed himself in Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't have a real body, but he just appeared to have one. 
Marcion said only Paul understood the true gospel, and he accepted, accepted ten of Paul's letters. And he also accepted an edited small version of Luke as being inspired. The rest of the New Testament, out the window. So his actions forced the church to, to determine what books are canon, what books are, should be included in the New Testament, and what books should be rejected. And they gave tests. One of the tests was, uh, was the author an apostle, or did he have some close connection with an apostle? Like um, Mark wrote under the authority of Peter, and Luke wrote under the authority of Paul. Secondly, did the church at large accept the book? Did most of the different congregation accept the book as scripture? So their, their thought was that the Spirit witnesses to all believers in different <coughs> different communions what's important and what's not. Did, did the book reflect doctrine that was consistent with historical truth? Did the book reflect the quality of inspiration? In other words, the book is not going to say something that the Holy Spirit obviously did not say. The book is not going to give spiritual values that are not consistent with what the Holy Spirit has already taught. And then <clears throat> was the book used in early Christian worship. And by these tests, the 27 books in the New Testament were determined to be inspired. The Apocrypha refers to 13, sometimes 14 books that are historical, historical, and fictional books. And they were written in Israel between 300 B.C. and 100 A.D. <clears throat> now, they're called esoteric books, which means hidden, mysterious, only certain person, people can understand them, those that are given to know it, and that sort of thing. And because of that, the early church considered them to be uh, of, of not canonical. They should not be included in the scripture. The word itself came to be seen as meaning false or heretical. When Luther and the other reformers challenged some of the doctrinal views from these apocryphal books, the counter-revolution, the people that he was standing against, named the apocrypha as part of the canon of scripture and they were included in the Catholic Bible. Protestants reject the Apocrypha as being part of the Bible because the books are different reasons. They're never quoted in the New Testament. Jesus never refers to them. And um, the Apocryphal books themselves Jesus never referred to them, and the Jews of his day never referred to them either. And further, they contain historical and geographical and chronological errors. For example, Second Maccabees advocates prayer for the dead. It justifies suicide. It suggests that almsgiving atones for sin and teaches the preexistence of souls 
and that the ends justify the means, why would you include that in Scripture? But it is in the Apocrypha. And lastly, Malachi indicates that there's no word from God between his writing and 400 years later in John the Baptist's vision. Studying and delighting in the word of God brings life, and it's a shield against sin. Psalm 119. Ninety-seven through one hundred four. <clears throat> oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. When the prophet Habakkuk saw the sinfulness of his people, he cried to God to do something, and God said, I am doing something. He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. <laughs> and his sovereign plan, <laughs> in God's sovereign plan, he was giving the people a severe punishment for their idolatry and their turning from him, and he was using the Chaldeans to do it. <coughs> Yet even after the Chaldeans had inflicted this punishment on Israel, on Judah rather, God held them responsible for what they had done. Even though God plans everything so it comes to pass, people are responsible for their actions. God has chosen believers from eternity past for salvation, but no one is saved apart from evangelism. Someone has to present the gospel to the unbeliever, and the unbeliever has to respond by an act of will and believe the gospel to be saved. We may not understand all these things. That's not necessary. We can rest assured that every part of God's plan will be completely carried out. We are also responsible to respond to the gospel and to live in obedience to the scriptures. The scriptures that are inspired, that are precise, and that cannot be broken. That's why we have to know what scripture says. We have to love it. We have to make it part of ourselves. Otherwise, you're going to be you'll fall apart. Yes, Pastor. Lord, help us to love your word. Help us to, to for it to be a part of us. 
to be like a fire that burns in us. Help us to know that words are important, that we need to be precise and accurate, because that's what your word is, Lord. It's precise, it's accurate, it cannot be broken. It gives life, it gives help, and it just leads us to know that all of your promises are true. That they've either been fulfilled, they will be fulfilled. But Lord, they are our light and our salvation. And we just thank you for your word and pray that we would love it more and more as the days go on. In the name of Jesus.